The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. I'm trying to see if I remember how to do this. <laughs> I, I mean, it hasn't been that long, has it? It's been, what, two weeks? I mean, we had, we had I don't know, 4th of July week up, up, up through last weekend. And uh, I think it's been just two weeks. Maybe a week and a half. I'm not sure. It's good to be back, though, and it's great to see everybody filing into our chat room. Hello to everyone, and thank you for being here. We've got a really interesting show tonight. We've got Vince Wilson joining us. I believe this is the first time he's been on our show, but I'm excited to talk to him. He's a paranormal investigator and a researcher. He's also an expert on seances and the Ouija board. We're going to be talking about all of that. He's a certified parapsychologist with the Inst- the American Institute of Parapsychology. He um, lectures on things such as the paranormal, magic, mysticism, folklore, myths, legends. He's also an accomplished illusionist, a hypnotist, and a mentalist. So he's got a lot of uh, breadth of experience here, and our conversation is going to touch all of those things. So I'm very, very excited. Hello to everybody in our chat room. I know I kind of said that already, but I see people saying hello, so hi. It's great to be here as we uh, as we ramp up a, a show to talk about the things we love to chat about. I will say that we've got some great uh, shows scheduled. For the most part, I'm going to be doing these, trying to keep to the schedule. Or I'm doing the live show Tuesdays and Thursday nights, and I know that's not you know the four nights a week that we used to do. But as you know, I'm working on a couple of other projects. One of them is the political show that I'm doing, the Independence Gang. Many of you uh, participate in that, and. And uh, I appreciate appreciate that you do that. If you're looking for it and you'd like to find out what it's about and you're interested in hearing people talk about politics, not everybody is, but that show is called The Independence Gang and you can find it right here on YouTube and on Twitch, which we are also streaming on tonight as well. Uh, there's also a podcast version of The Independence Gang you can find on all major podcast platforms. So if you prefer to listen to a podcast version of a show, that's there just like this show is. This show is found in all all of those same places. We pr- appreciate you subscribing and following to everything that you can uh, here on YouTube. There's no charge for a subscription, so please hit the subscribe button if you're not a subscriber currently. And if you're on Twitch, you can hit the follow button. There's no charge for that. If you decide to subscribe to the show on Twitch, we appreciate that. That gives us a little bit of support, uh, which is very, very helpful. Uh, you just and, and you do actually if you do it with your Prime account, your Amazon Prime account, there's no charge for the subscription. It just it's like a perk for being an Amazon uh, Prime subscriber. So you can just link that account, but you have to do that. You have to renew that every month. Otherwise, there is a small fee to be a subscriber. But we appreciate you doing that. Anyway, like I said, it's great to see everybody here tonight. Uh, I did want to go over a bunch of paranormal headlines, but you know I'm going to save that because another thing, one of the other projects. That we've been working on here, as you know, uh, Britt Griffith and I have done a couple of Sunday night shows where we actually split the the night. We do a, a political thing in the first part of the night, and then in the second part of the night, we switch it to paranormal, and we do it on this channel and a couple other places. And we talk about things in the news, you know, paranormal thing uh, headlines and uh, you know, every once in a while you'll be scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or something and you'll see somebody caught a ghost video or a Bigfoot video or a UFO video or something like that. And we break it down a little bit. We take a look at it. We, we let you know what we think and we ask you what you think. And we've been doing that Sunday nights. We didn't get to do it last Sunday. We didn't do any shows uh, this last Sunday because it was 4th of July and we didn't want 
to rip people away from their families uh, who are trying to, you know, spend the holiday with friends, families, whoever it happened to be. Uh, but and I, but I think we're going to do it on a regular basis on Sunday nights uh, around eleven o'clock. It's a little loose, so you need to hit the notification icon in the uh, in the on the YouTube channel here to make sure that you're notified when the show goes live. That's the best way to do it. That little bell icon, it's up in the corner somewhere. I never know where, how to describe it, but it's there. Uh, so it's a lot of fun, though. The last couple of Sundays that we did the show, not this, not the 4th of July, but the two Sundays previous to that, we had some pretty cool evidence. Not only are we looking at stuff that's contemporary and in the news, but we actually were talking about some things that uh, Jason, uh, not Jason, <laughs> I saw somebody write Jay in the chat room, Corey, hey, uh, that Britt had, has caught uh, during his investigations with Ghost Hunters, which was kind of cool to bring some of that footage back and talk about it in a little more detail. And he's got a lot of that, so we'll we'll mix that with the stuff that we find in the news, the articles that we find in the news. And we've had a lot of fun with it. I hope you have, too. So, again, tonight we're talking with Vince Wilson. He is an investigator and a paranormal researcher. He's a lecturer. He's a seance expert. We're going to be talking about seances, the Ouija board, uh, his investigations, and some of the other work he does. So there's a lot to talk about tonight for sure, and it's probably best if we get started doing this. So uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have our guest, Vince Wilson. It's Beyond Reality. We'll be right back. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar goes a long way in helping us produce this program provide great interviews for you during the course of the week i thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply all right welcome back to the show it's beyond reality thanks for being patient everyone uh we're fortunate to have our guest with us now vince wilson is an investigator and a researcher of the paranormal he's also a lecturer a seance expert he also talks about Ouija boards, and we're happy to have uh, Vince with us. Vince, welcome to the program. Great to have you here. It is, it is great to have you uh, be here tonight. The, uh, <laughs> I guess these spirits were not aligning correctly for us to be on together initially. But it, it, it would, uh, yeah. I'm glad I can finally make it on. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the first time, I have to tell you. we, we get we, There's some weird things when you do a show late at night, and, <laughs> and you can never explain exactly what's happening. But we're just thankful to have you here. Let's um, Let's get to know you a little bit. So... You know, I, I I read a long list of things that you do, but it isn't even com- you know complete. You do a lot of stuff. You're like I said, a paranormal investigator. You're also a magician, a hypnotist. You're a researcher. You're a séance expert. Among all these things that you do, which came first for you, Vince? Ooh, that is a uh, difficult question to answer. That's I think you're maybe the first person to ask me that specific question in all the interviews I've done. Um, wow, so. It, it would ha- probably be helpful to 
uh, think, I guess the interest in the paranormal was the first thing because I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I'm currently 47 years old. And I grew up with TV shows like In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, you know, uh, Ripley's Believe or Not, uh, shows like that. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the you know those shows really inspired me to because they were presented as documentaries. If you remember those at all. Oh, Vince, um, I'm, I hate to interrupt you because I really want to hear the rest of your answer, but I just have to tell you, anytime I'm asked about my start in the paranormal and my curiosity, I reference the Leonard Nimoy in Search of program. Um, that show did more to fuel my curiosity as a kid. Uh, than anything I watched on TV, read in, in books, or you know, heard on the radio, or whatever whatever the case may be. So I am right there with you. I understand how powerful that show was, among others, among others. But that one, mm-hmm. that one is such a pivotal show, and it and so many people that I bring on the on this program, Vince, re- cite that. You know, people of our, of our age or our generation. I don't know that that you know somebody twenty year old twenty years old might reference that but people from Mm -hmm. who were alive during the 70s even as young kids watched that show and were influenced by it and it still affects them today so i completely hear what you're saying exactly you know and 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 of course there was uh in the late 70s there was the magician doug henning which made people really feel like uh he was introducing them to a universe of wonders you know he was he would one of his talents was the ability to make people feel as if he was also experiencing the magic with them. And then there was uh, Harry Blackstone Jr., which is another big influence in the magic department. And these things combined really influenced me in the direction I wanted to go in, uh, which was understanding how things work, uh, you know, beyond electronics, computers, and even science sometimes. I want to know, was this real? And if it was real, how could it be real? And I did a lot of research into the origins of things. You know, a lot of of what we know in regards to magic, hypnotism, um, paranormal investigation, psychology, sociology, these all have an, a, a singularity, an origin story, a point in history that everything would have evolved differently if it weren't for one man, and that was Anton Mesmer. The, basically the creator of the concept of mesmerism, which we, he called animal magnetism. Uh, the uh, Mesmer was onto something, even though he didn't know what it was. He was wrong about what it was. He thought it was some kind of magnetism or an aspect of the ether that allowed the uh, humans to be influenced. And this eventually became hypnotism. It also inspired people like Emanuel Swedenborg, who inspired spiritualism. And this inspired psychic investigation, parapsychology. Um, aspects of the mind associated with this, with hypnotism, inspired to some degree the evolution of psychology, psychiatry, sociology, anthropology, um, you know, uh, paranormal investigation, and later parapsychology, of course. You know, all these things uh, have, and of course, modern magic. The Davenport brothers were spiritualists, they escaped from a spirit cabinet. This would later inspire uh, people like Harry Houdini. You know, aspects of spiritualism evolved modern illusion and magic as well. All these things tied in together. 
by this one person. So I have to ask you a little bit more about this person. You said Anton Mesmer is the name of yes. this person. That's the word. That's where the word mesmerism. Comes yeah, I was from. just going to say. So, the, so the word mesmerize that came from mm-hmm. his his work. That is correct. Now he didn't come up with that himself. That no. was named after, after him, right? Uh, from his, you know, the people that came after, you know, right. after but, 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 his. But but they but they they, they took his name and and they made a, a a verb out of it and made a word out of it uh, that mm-hmm. relates to the work he had done. Now, what was the time frame that Anton Mesmer was doing his work? The late 1700s. Oh, uh, wow. He was actually debunked in France by Benjamin Franklin, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, Benjamin Franklin actually, uh, you know, claimed that he was a fraud. And he was, to some degree, a fraud, He, but also not in a weird way, because he was definitely on to something. There was such a thing as mesmerism. That was something he was, you know, he was hypnotizing people, but he thought it was because of the magnetized water he was submerging them in and the, the, magnet, the magnets he would surround their bodies with. He wow. misidentified what it was. Uh, but he was hypnotizing people. He was influencing them, making them believe that they were better. So he had this ability to influence people through hypno- hypnosis, and you know these more. Um, what's the word? I guess are they are they? Is it the power suggestion? Yeah, but is it is it psychological? Is that what if this falls under? I'm not sure what the oh, word. Oh, certainly yes. Yeah. Uh, hypnosis is when the conscious and subconscious minds are more connected. You know. Um, it's what you feel like just before you go to sleep and what you feel like just shortly after you wake up. That's what yeah. uh, hypnosis is. It's, a, it's called, sometimes called the theta state, of cycles of seconds of brainwave activity in which these two aspects of the mind are more connected, the inner mind and the outer mind. Um, and that is what Anton had accidentally stumbled upon by calming their minds, allowing their subconscious and conscious mind to be connected, he was able to uh, convince them that they were, uh, you know, they, that their ails were, uh, you know, being healed, that their pain was going away, that their, uh, um, that their problems were getting better, that they had clear minds, for example. Uh, and he did not. He did not know what he was doing. But now, he was doing it. Yeah. So he. So he stumbled upon this ability. Mm-hmm. To to hypnotize, for lack of uh, for, to use as a general term, hypnotize people. He just attributed it to the wrong things. He was doing it, but he thought it was related to, as you said, magnets or this water or whatever. But it was actually him doing it. Um, you know, as making a connection to that person, as as a hypnos hypnotist would do today. Mm-hmm. That is correct. You're yeah. absolutely correct. It was it, it was an amazing. A uh, bit of history, but people later were curious about what he was doing. Like, was there any truth to this? You know, and I, I find this an amazing sort of uh, connection with Anton in that way because I also wondered, is there anything truth to this? Well, this is more of a thought process of the people that came later on. Of course, they wanted to know if there's anything true to it, and they started testing this mesmerism, which it later became known as, and yeah. they. Uh, and they would do it mostly for parlor demonstrations um, and, you know, making people uh, do things or feel better or, or supposedly curing them. And then later they were, they were mesmerizing people to talk to spirits. They would go into a trance 
and they would feel as if they were talking to uh, deceased loved ones, occasionally angels, demons, even Jesus at some point, uh, among other uh, spiritual beings, elves, uh, fairies, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And, and, Mesmer, and later Mes- ghosts. was Mesmer yeah. doing that himself, or is this the work that came after based on his work? This is the work that came after him. Yeah, there's, there's nothing he did. He didn't. He, all he did was try to cure people of ailments, which he thought was being done by magnets. The spiritualists of the 19th century, are uh, in the late 18, in the late 1800s, I'm sorry, late 1700s, um, and then later the uh, 1800s, going into the 20th century is when this really started to kick into high gear. You know, there was, of course, the, um, you know, the the spiritualists, uh, like which was started by Manuel Swedenborg in Sweden. It was they were called Swedenborgians, uh, but I thought they were much better named in the United States when they became spiritualists. Um, and, of course, everyone knows the Fox sisters, right. uh, the Davenport brothers, you know, the uh, these these illuminaries of uh, Marjorie the Medium later on, these luminaries of spiritualism, which lasted all the way to the early— there's still spiritualists around, but this heyday was about 100 years long, um, from the early 1800s until the— early 1900s so I, I you know i probably should know this of course i know the history of the fox sisters um mm-hmm. and you know and i live in upstate new york and and uh, lilydale is not far from here which has its roots with their work but what was what was the time frame of their start and where spiritualism started to get a hold on people in i don't know for we'll call it pop culture at the time yeah, I, I think that was around the, the 1830s, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I'd have to look at my notes to make sure, but the so the first, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, theories about whether they were actually uh, involved with ghosts. A right. lot of people believe they were real, and they, uh, but later they said they weren't, and then they backtracked on that. Said, That's right. No, no, we really were the whole time. Um but the Fox sisters you know, first heard tapping sounds in their house in upstate New York, uh, in Lilydale, you know, and they yep. in that area, uh, and they Hydesville, Hides, Hides, New York specifically, um, and they went on tour and started spreading that around. You would go, you would hear these tapping sounds and voices, and they would claim they could uh, contact specific spirits. Other uh, the, the, what. You might, a lot of people might wonder on some level why at this point in history, you know, there's always been ghost stories. There's always been a desire to contact the, the spirits of loved ones, um, uh, that there always have been this uh, awareness of the afterlife. So why in the 19th century, how could they justify suddenly people could talk to ghosts? Right on a regular basis. And the reason was that there was a justification for this. It's not often spoke about. They believed that the uh, aspects of the Industrial Revolution, the higher level of technology, philosophy, science, and, and everything that was happening in this explosion of ideas allowed for a thinning of the veil, that for the first time in history, ghosts wanted to talk with us is the justification they had. Hmm. <laughs> um, 
I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because, you know, ultimately the industrial revolution and these great advances in technology and science, uh, you know, you had people like Thomas Edison working on devices that could that could uh, theoretically talk uh, and reach to the other side. But before those days, and you've got the Fox sisters, were, were people like the Fox sisters the first ones to use maybe the word seance and and hold these what we would i guess kind of consider these victorian era seances yeah the the seances developed by multiple people over decades um you know the idea of spirit communication has of course been around for millennia uh going uh, ancient egypt even behind that there are cave drawings represented representing the spirit rising from the body so this goes back a, a very, very long time uh, throughout human history. But in the 19th century, during this time period, the what we think of as a seance, the round table, the, the holding of hands, yeah. the, the, uh, the ritual and contacting of the spirit, uh, this really evolved in those early decades of the 19th century. This is when people started to really... Um, you know, formulate and create these ideas of how it was going. Some of this came from, uh, believe it or not, the prevention of fraud. Now, if you ask people, and I have done this during my seances, when when someone sits around a seance table, I ask them, why do you think we hold hands? Why do we have to hold hands? And, of course, they say that connect our energy. And there is some truth to that. There is an idea for that, of course, you know, but in reality, it was for the most part to prevent fraud. They assume uh, that if your hands were clasped yeah. and, and they would even put their feet over each other's feet, that you couldn't fake anything. Now, that's not true. You still can fake stuff. <laughs> so there, um, there is, a, but it was at least a preventative measure they would take. Um, you could always have, um, I usually do my seances by myself, rarely bring an assistant. And if I do have an assistant or a partner, um, they would participate as well. You know, uh, but the how they would do it in those days is they would have a confederate uh, hiding in the uh, behind a door or yeah. a secret panel. Yeah. The a lot of the ideas that you ha- that we have today about secret passageways and panels and fireplaces that slide to the side and that sort of thing came from spiritualism and people trying to fake and hoax, uh, uh, you know, attendees to their seances at the time. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 these, these all evolved from multiple different inputs over decades. The, yep. the whole setup, the round table, the, the trumpets and, yeah. and that sort of thing, the moving of objects. One of the things that, that we tend to under um, appreciate is that, you know, when you're talking about the 19th century, you're talking about a time, particularly in America, you're talking about a time when, I don't know, the infant mortality rate was something around 50%. I mean, it was, it was, death was all around everyone. You know, we didn't have antibiotics to cure what we now take for granted as basic bacterial infections. They would kill people in a lot of respects. Um, You know, you just did not have 
uh, the comfort of expecting to live a long life like we do now for the most part. And so, you know, families would, would have a lot of children, and, but they would lose half of them in many, in many circumstances. Or women would die giving birth in a lot of cases. So that death was all around these people. So I can fully understand why they might have a propensity to try to want to reach across to reach to yeah, the, the other side to try to make contact with with a loved one who you know you know uh, who died very young it, it, yeah exactly and think about this this particular time period in history the the civil war right on the tail end of the revolutionary war by only a couple of decades um you know it was it's and you had international conflict you had uh famine disease you know the things you mentioned of course you know all these um, these these stresses happening around the same time, you know, like why would you not want to uh, continue conversations with these loved ones? All this, like you said, a lot of death is happening, and life has to move on. And so, but some people can't accept that; they can't accept the idea of moving on. So they hold on to the past, they hold on to those loved ones, and they keep them tethered, whether you believe they really are trapped on earth or coming back to communicate you know it, there is an aspect of not allowing the the dead to move on and you you mentioned the civil war which is a, is a you know you take everything we just talked about during the middle of the 19th century and you now you move it to the civil war you're talking about death on a level that that no one had ever understood until the civil war came about almost 700,000 Americans died you know i don't remember what the population of the united states was at that point but it was it was rather minuscule compared to what it is now mm-hmm. everybody had a loved one if not if not a, a brother sister spouse they had a loved one who died in the civil war and these people would would leave in 1860 61 and then they wouldn't find out that they had died until 3 or 4 years later and you know, they had no very little communication with them during the war itself, and then they'd find themselves grieving. They didn't have any pictures of that person generally. You know, so again, that was like a like a a, a shot of adrenaline to the spiritualist movement. You're you're absolutely correct, and also it was spiritualism around this time period became political. Um, there were spiritualists and seance um, hosts or mediums uh, for you know specifically that were uh, claiming to be in contact with the founding fathers and saying, depending on what side of the, the conflict they were on, they were saying that the founding fathers would not agree with what you're doing. They would not agree with what, how this is. You know, if you're from the North, they were saying, you know, slavery is wrong. And if it, yeah. from the South, George Washington would be saying slavery is okay. Right, you know, right, right. <laughs> so it depends on, uh, what side of the conflict you're on, but there were mediums of psych in a, the word psychic hadn't really come into lexicon until later in the 19th century, but mediums, fair enough, who were saying uh, these things on both sides of the conflict, basically, uh, trying to convince followers that the, the, you know, their thought process was right and the other sides was wrong. So, so spiritualism during this time period was very politicized. What's the difference, if if there is a difference, between a spiritualist and a medium? Hmm. A spiritualist 
it's like the all you know at the time period, pretty much all mediums were spiritualists, but not all spiritualists were mediums, if that's a good way of putting it. There were definitely people that were that had the touch that allowed them to communicate with spiritualists. And those people had followers that believed in it. Um, spiritualism at the time was mostly a a philosophy uh, more than it was a belief, but it eventually evolved into a religion. Most spiritualists today are, but they believe they are more of a religion than they are a the philosophy of the 19th century, in which they believe in a possibility. You could be you could be Protestant, Catholic, or whatever. And you could go to the spirit, the seance parlor, and talk to ghosts. Okay, but in at in, in that time period in history, later it became more of a, this is our belief system, and you're yeah. a spiritualist or you're not. Um, yeah. For example, so that's the biggest difference, I think. Now you know, infamously, uh, Harry Houdini um, was set out to uh, show how fraudulent this industry profession, if you will became um he desperately wanted to be able to reach the other side particularly reach his mom who had passed away Mm -hmm. uh you know early in his life and um you know so he he went from from seance to seance medium to medium and you know debunking them uh what were what were houdini's real thoughts about this did he believe want to believe disbelieve where did he fall well houdini uh underreported (laughs) <laughs> most biographies and stories of Harry Houdini is that he got part of his start. When he, he started off in Coney Island, New York, where he met his future wife, uh, Bess. Mm-hmm. And, but one of their early jobs was uh, on a circus circuit in which they were traveling up you know, around the United States by train. It was part of a circus, and they were doing spiritualist seances and psychic entertainment. Quite ironically, if you ask me, right, um, and and that did spark an interest in it, and helped him evolve that into what later became his magic shows. His magic evolved over a great. He didn't like start off doing escape magic. He was doing card tricks and and other things and psychic entertainment. Um, and then eventually he perfected his escape act, um, and he was very interested in spiritualism and curious about it to some degree. Although skeptical early, and but at some point he became a debunker, and that probably started. There is a clear division between what a skeptic is and a debunker is. You know, the um, he he became a debunker when he was invited to uh, the beach house of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, in, I think it was New Jersey, I want to say, or New York, um, and to do a demonstration. His wife, uh, Miss, Mrs. Doyle, was going to uh, do a demonstration of automatic writing. So uh, uh, Houdini and Bess went to their their beach house, and I, I think they sat on the deck, and she went into a trance and started writing multiple pages of uh, communication with Houdini's beloved mother, Mm-hmm. Right, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he he was he was very very close to her and was devastated by her death. Yep. Um, and so she started writing this. So she writes this page down and she draw writes draws a cross and circles it and then put, and starts writing basically almost four four to six pages of 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 just uh, you know rambling, you know, saying Harry, I miss you. It's your 
it's your mother. I'm here with your father now. I hope you're doing okay. Don't worry about us, Harry. We're here up in heaven, et cetera, et cetera. It's just something that, stuff like that. When it's over, uh, Harry asked a simple question, one question. Although he had multiple questions, he asked only one. Um, my mother was was Hungarian. She barely spoke English. Why is it in English? And without missing a beat, she says, "Why, Harry? In heaven, everyone speaks English." So, <laughs> <laughs> perfect British answer, if you ask me. But, right. Uh, there was multiple things, of course, wrong with it. She was a Hungarian Jew, and there was, and she wrote a crucif- She drew a crucifix at the top of the paper first. Yeah, uh, Eric uh, Harry's real name was Eric Weiss. His mother never called him Harry ever. Called him Eric. You know, the right. Harry came from the fact that he was raised in New York, and locals would call him Harry. You know, which came out to sound like Harry. And Houdini came from the French magician. Jean Eugene Jean Robert Houdin, um, and he adopted that name, uh, thinking that the I would make him like Houdin. Uh, so he put that on. He put down the end and became Harry Houdini. So they. So after that, the Doyles and Houdini had a falling out, and they never spoke to each other again. Uh, you know, Harry uh, wrote a scathing telegraph to him, and then wrote up a article in a newspaper. And from that moment on, was dedicated to debunking all spiritualists as frauds and fakes. We're talking tonight with Vincent Wilson. He is the author of a book, Ultimate Ghost Tech. You can find that, I think, on uh, Amazon, right, Vince? Yes, yeah. You can also get it at ghosttech.com. I have it on sale on that. It's a direct download if you don't want to. You can get, of course, the physical copy is always great. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a digital download on my website for only $10. Um, we're talking about spiritualism uh, right now. We've got a lot of things to cover tonight. I want to move the conversation to Ouija boards now, or spirit sure. boards. You know, I think Ouija is a, is a trademark name. They're really spirit boards. When did they first come on the scene in the form that we recognize now, and what do you think of their effect? Well, they, they first came into their current form in the late uh, 1900s. And there were some early sort of prototypes, but the... The board we know today was invented uh, probably by Elijah Bond or or the Fudd family. It's kind of a mixture of history right there. Uh, but in the late, 19, late 1900s, uh, in Bal- my hometown of Baltimore City is where the Ouija board was invented, and the, that modern format was created. Um, the Ouija board was mostly... Uh, it was used for spiritualism, but it was mostly a board game come the 20th century for all, all the way up until the 1970s. So marketing would promote it as a date night game. Yeah, you know that yeah. you, know, you would you would you know, sit down with your uh, date and play with it and talk to ghosts, and, and she would get scared and hopefully cuddle up <laughs> with you. You know, <laughs> in fear. My parents uh, used he, to play. My parents used to have friends over, and they'd play, and they played it it was a game yeah. and and mm-hmm. it's funny to think back now because so many people are terrified of using ouija boards and uh, you know believe that they open up a portal to things that are not good uh and i think back of my parents you know with a few drinks and smoking cigarettes because everybody smoked back then you know they're mm-hmm. playing they're playing ouija board with their friends i think that's funny yeah think about that it, it all changed everything changed 
1974 with a movie called The Exorcist. Uh-huh. Yep, that is what the little girl Reagan played with the Ouija board and talked to Captain Howdy, who told her her mother wasn't pretty because, <laughs> you know, demons are jerks, yeah. uh, basically. Uh, but, yeah, the it, it all started with that Ouija board, you know, and, and that movie with the the stars of The Exorcist. Up until that point, it was a, a harmless board game that everyone had fun with. And now, because of that movie, there's this connotation to it, a, a, a stain upon it. That said, I asked people, I said, what are you scared of? You think at the Ouija board manufacturing plant at Hasbro, there's a coven of witches cursing every border <laughs> that comes down the assembly line? Yeah. Uh, you know, there is a, it is a piece of cardboard with laminate plastic on it and a plastic planchette. That's what a Ouija board is. The, it is, um, and I, and, and so there's listeners, I'm sure, right now saying, but I had a bad experience. Something happened. And so now my question for them would be, would that have happened if you weren't using a Ouija board? If you really think a ghost was in your house and, that, and, the, and you had a negative experience, can you really be sure that it would have happened if you used something else? Right. And here's the, here's the weird thing, the weird disconnect here. Like ghost hunters go out. And they have weird, they have negative experiences. What you can hear the story, you can hear it's negative. I was pushed, I was bitten, I was scratched. You know, the uh, bad things happen, et cetera, et cetera. And as as long as a Ouija board's not involved, they're okay with it. Yep. <laughs> it's like as soon as a Ouija board's involved, now it's bad. Um, and I would argue that a Ouija board is safer to use in a paranormal investigation than EVP. And I will, if you like, I will explain that. I do want to hear that explanation. I just want to uh, point out something, though. Often, you know, Ouija boards come up on this program, whether I'm talking mm-hmm. to a paranormal investigator or getting listener questions, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, as you said, and as I said, a lot of people have a fear of them. And, and I always reply, you know, this is nothing more. This is no different than any other tool, if you want to look at it that way. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to make contact with something, whether you're using a Ouija board or you're, you're, you're asking for knocks on the table, uh, it's really the same thing. It's a tool. And, uh, you, you know, you have to be able to accept it or, or use it for what it is and for your purposes. Uh, it's really no different than that. It's, it's not any, it's not an evil, you know, as you said, it's a piece of cardboard with plastic laminate mm-hmm. and, and a piece of plastic that you move around on top. It's, it doesn't come, uh, in, you know, innately evil. And, and we have to remember that. So, yeah. So yeah, hey. talk, talk about that, the, the, how you feel that actually EVP might be as sinister as, uh, as a Ouija board. Yeah. So Ouija boards have rules. Uh, seances have rules. They have rituals. You know, they have an opening. Uh, but you're supposed to contact a specific spirit. You're supposed to contact them by name, hopefully. Or the, or you can say the, 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 the ghost of the human who haunts this location, if you don't know the name. But you always want to say a name if you can. You target an individual with clear intention. You're, you verbalize this in your opening. Uh, Ouija boards are like you never use in a cemetery. You always say goodbye. Never use alone. There's three. There's literally three rules printed on the board. Yeah, uh, and it, it has additional rules you could add on to it. But it's a ritual that's supposed to give you protection. Um, <clears throat> EVP, which is a tool using a voice recorder of some type, um, is it always starts almost always in most investigations I've been to. It starts off with 
the same words. And you know what those words are? Is anybody with us? That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Is anyone here? Now, if you believe that there's a possibility that saying that invites entities in it, think of those words. Is anyone here? That, if you believe in the power of ritual, then you're opening up that location to literally any entity, any being, any power, all right, whether harmless or harmful, angelic or demonic, or to be honest with you, I wouldn't even want to meet an angel if that that were possible. Uh, The Bible describes them as being pretty terrifying. (laughs) So, but yeah, but any entity... Um, including the possibility of a ghost. So uh, a Ouija board technically has more protection. If you if something negative happens, it's usually because it's being misused. We uh, <laughs> we're going to run out of time before we even come close to covering all the stuff we want to talk about. I want to ask you about your paranormal investigating. How long have you been doing it? And and do I guess when you investigate. Do you do it for, I don't know what the word is, Are you, is it a research effort for you, or is it more personal than that? It's, it's, a, it, it's both a little bit. You know, it's, it's personal because I do want to know, if, you know how things work. You know, how does the universe allow uh, you know, paranormal or supernatural phenomena to exist in it, in a universe that requires rules in order to function? Uh, how can these things be real and exist in it? And if they are real, uh, what is the laws and rules that allow those things to happen? Um, the and, and, uh, and as a parapsychologist, uh, I've been investigating since 1998. I became a parapsychologist uh, uh, a few years after that with the American Institute of Parapsychology. And when the executive, the original director, retired a couple of years ago, I took over as executive director. And I might, if there's enough interest, uh, start uh, giving out certifications again for sci-field researchers and maybe even new parapsychologists. We'll see. I'm still debating that. It's a lot of effort and work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Goes out. Uh, but parapsychology is the uh, is psychology that allows for the possibility of aspects of the mind to exist outside of the body, uh, and, and uh, that's the easiest way to explain it. Uh, whether it's consciousness survival in the form of what we call ghosts and spirits, or if it's psychic activity, you know, that is what parapsychology is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not enough parapsychologists out there. So if you started investigating, you said in 98, is that when it was? Yes, that's correct. The field was rather raw at that point. Uh, it was. Mm-hmm. It was still less defined than it is now and it's only defined now because uh, television made it somewhat popular and kind of set some rules that a lot of people use what do you see as differences between when you were starting in 98 and doing your investigations versus how it's perceived now well there's less tactical gear at the time period um there which just seems to be something uh people feel like they have to wear now when they go on ghost hunts um I think there was people took it a little bit more seriously. I think that there was a legitimate effort to document, research, and file things. Uh, the, we had self oversight to some degree. A lot of times, you'll hear ghost hunters at conferences, and you may have heard this on your own show. 
There are no experts. And although people will disagree with this and they'll deny it, um, there's a, there's the reasons that they say that are not the reasons they think they're saying it for. They'll say it's because you can't, you know, you can't know everything. You can't possibly know what all these explanations are. You can be an expert on fictional things. You can be an expert on literature, on, on science fiction. You can be an expert on, on unicorns and chupacabras <laughs> and other things that might not exist. And you can be an expert on the paranormal by understanding the history, uh, contributing to publications. And what, it, what the word expert literally means, having an above average understanding of a topic. And so you can have experts. The real reason ghost hunters don't want experts is because that means oversight. That means having accountability. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the problem with modern ghost hunting. Is that uh, and, and, hey? If you're doing ghost hunting for fun, if you're going to Eastern State Penitentiary, Waverly Hill Sanatorium, going to conferences and getting autographs from your favorite TV ghost hunters, there is nothing wrong with that, and that's great. That's a that's a fun, awesome, wonderful, self fulfilling thing to do. But don't go in people's houses. Stay away from families and children, and the homes of people. You shouldn't be going into private residence. You, you're, you know, the, most people are not qualified to do that. Now, I, I agree with what you just said, but explain why you said that. Well, because here, you know, a lot of ghost hunting groups out there are just like posting to Facebook. They say, "I want to start a ghost hunting group," and they get five people together. You know, who yeah. the first people that respond to it. Yeah, and they. Watch team, they're fans of Paranormal State and Ghost Hunters and all these and, paranormal, and Ghost Adventurers. And then they go out and do a ghost hunt in someone's house. And they barely even know the people they're investigating with. And there are family, families there. These people could have, it could be, maybe it's ghosts, you know, but what if it's mental illness? Right. What if it's, you know, uh, something more dangerous than that? What if they're trying to fake or fraud you? They get a TV because they think it'll get them a TV show of their own, and that is that has happened. It's happened oh, to me. People I've try to fake oh, uh, pull one that. over me sometimes. No, I've seen that. Believe me, I've been involved in in the paranormal reality television th- scene for a long time. I've seen that a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the it's something that um, you know that it, it happens too often. So, and also keep in mind, children. There are children involved. You yeah. Know, yeah. Top, yeah, it, that is the worst part of that story. You know, you're. It's, I had a years ago. There was a family where there was kids there, and the kids were faking things in order to get attention from their parents who were going through some trouble at the time. They were faking the haunting. I had to tell those parents, you know, that their kids were faking it and given the evidence to prove that, and that was a very difficult thing to do. Um, but and you know, do you think? I'm talking to your listeners. Do you think that you can do that, or are you going to just let them believe their house is haunted? Yeah. Not everyone is. Not everyone can have or should have conversations with people like that. You know, and it, it, and people do more harm than good when they don't have any kind of training at all, and they're just running into. Not to mention, they're probably not even insured. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're going right. to someone's house. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, those are great points. Uh, the 
time frame where you started um, was kind of the tail end of, I guess, what I would consider to be some uh, kind of a, I don't know, there was a bit of a bubble in paranormal investigating mm-hmm. that started, and you referenced it already. The movie The Exorcist changed things, not just for the Ouija board, but also for paranormal investigating. You had the Warrens um, appear on the scene, you know, obviously the big cases like the Amityville house the enfield haunting uh, the the conjuring what we know as the conjuring case yet all these big high profile cases suddenly appear the warrens had their hands in them in one way or another as did other investigators what are your thoughts on all that well it, it is a you know the paranormal uh, phenomenon goes in you know ebbs and flows in popularity and who and what is popular all right so the warrens were not as popular as people think they were in the 70s and 80s. Right. You know, I vaguely remember that. You know, they, they had a, uh, a connection to the Amityville Horror House, and, and they did a lot of cases, and that's where they were referenced in books and made TV appearances here and there. But they weren't superstars of the paranormal. They were kind of footnotes you know, in all these cases. Yeah, they were a footnote. That yeah. is absolutely correct. They, their popularity was, it grew over... Over years, it took them decades to get the level of awareness that they became later on. And, of course, the modern Conjuring movies, it is a Conjuring series, right? Yes. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It, helped, it definitely helped them um, have become legends in the paranormal community. But they were not like that, um, you know, for many, many years. Eventually, their their reputation became more popular as the TV shows started to coming about, and they, they had a resurgence of popularity like they never had before. Well, there, there was a romantic uh, look at their work at that point. It was kind of a retrospective look at the things they had done romantically, uh, and in some mm-hmm. cases a little bit in an, an exaggerated sense as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 the stories become embellished, you know, to some degree. You know, it, it not necessarily, be, uh, I'm not saying they're necessarily liars, it's or, uh, you know, I don't want to get hate mail. No, 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 we're, the, not, we're not saying uh, that but, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but the, you know, but embellishing is natural for people to do. We all do it, actually. It's, it, you know, human memory is not like a computer. It's it's not like Lego bricks being stacked on top of each other. It's more like grains of colored sand that got shook in a jar. You know, we, we remember things very differently over years. Our memories are constantly evolving yep. and unreliable. It sucks to be human. Uh, we don't, we uh, <laughs> have very unreliable memories of our past. Um, and so they, it, it, you know, inadvertently embellished and exaggerated, and they certainly did have uh, feelings about people they felt wronged them. Uh, so they weren't, they weren't always the altruistic ghost investigators that they wanted the public to believe they were they um you know again had a kind of a second uh life to their career uh, and, and a lot of it was just lorraine because Ed had passed away but uh, you know as these movies came out and as you said the whole interest in paranormal investigating that was spurred by the introduction of the television shows you know, people started to look back at some of their work. What do you think specifically? Let's talk Amityville for a second. They came in mm-hmm. after. They came in second. There was a paranormal mm-hmm. investigator that came to the conclusion nothing was happening there. Uh, George Lutz basically fired him and then brought the mm-hmm. Warrens in. Who? Who? There's a there's a demon boy photograph and some other anecdotal experiences that they claim happened there. What are your thoughts on it? 
Well, yeah, Stephen Kaplan, I believe, is who you're talking about. The, the first uh, investigator there. Yep. There was a. There was yeah. There was a. There was uh, a lot of mixed stuff in there. The, the story, as far as the skeptics are concerned, is that the Lutzes were talking about the you know some mild things they thought was weird about the house. You know, they, they joked it might be haunted. They knew they already knew about the murders. They knew about that right away. There was no way they didn't know about the murders happening. Right. Um, so they were talking to their lawyer about uh, these ghost stories, and they concocted the whole story of the Amityville horror uh, over a few glasses of wine, you know, which lawyers later said it definitely happened. You know, to take that with a grain of salt, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and uh, and there's like all this, you know, all the things that a lot of things that are written in the book definitely didn't happen. The door wasn't blown off the hinges. It didn't rain that night anywhere in the area. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And people were over the house. They didn't have any experiences. The you know, priest denied the story, et cetera. You know, goes on and on and on. Um, now, and also the Warrens would later say that it was based, it was built on ancient Native American burial grounds. And, you know, the tribes of the area said, no, we never had anything. There was no burial grounds in that area. And it wasn't even the right tribe that she claimed was there. <laughs> Uh, so there was a, a lot of controversy that could, could she really be a medium and just be wrong? Sure. You know, can't, you can't deny that possibility if you're a believer, you know, uh, but the Amityville horror at the very least was highly exaggerated. The, we all have built in, uh, barometers, uh, for this type of story. We've heard our entire lives, ghost stories, legends, myths, folklore, religion, you know, and and when you there's there's certain degrees and levels of activity we'll allow ourselves to accept outside of a horror movie. If someone said, "I heard footsteps coming down the hallway," mm, okay, uh, there was a knocking on the door. Oh yeah, that might be true. I heard a voices. Okay, still it sounds about right. Um, you know, and then a vortex opened over my, uh, you know, my head and M&Ms fell out. <laughs> you know, all right, well, now I'm not so sure. <laughs> this right. is where I'm ready to think that something is, this person might have something wrong with their head. Um, there are certain kinds of levels of activity. Amityville Horror had too much happening. It was just too much. You know, there, there's uh, outside of the Bell Witch Ghost of Adams County, Tennessee, um, in the United States, there's no ghost story of a haunting killing someone that's verified, you know, right. uh, or or and even close to being verified or, or reported. Ghosts and that happens in horror movies, not in reality. Yeah, I, I always point that out as well. Um, you know, when people become afraid or what, whatever, you know, there's a lot of people that are apprehensive and don't want to be hurt. And I've said, you know what? I mean, I've heard of people being scratched, touched, but mm -hmm. I've really not ever heard of anything where somebody has been killed. Uh, but I, I, we should be careful what we say here, I suppose. Um, Vince, we're going to run out of time. I want to talk about your book for a few minutes here. Tell us about Ultimate Ghost Tech. Well, the, I wrote a book called Ghost Tech uh, in 2001, and I wrote it shortly thereafter. In 2003, I wrote Ghost Science, which was a sequel or uh, really a companion book to the first one. Ghost Tech handled technology, science, 
and over the theories of what ghosts might be. If ghosts were real, how could they be real? Uh, eventually, I combined those two books, uh, added additional information, uh, and then added some more to it later. And I'm thinking about maybe later down the line, adding, you know, amending it again with modern uh, knowledge of technology and that sort of thing. But basically, it's a it was designed to be a book for the amateur parapsychologist to kind of to have more, um, uh, you know, have concepts that you could apply to your investigations uh, to be more uh, academic to some degree, to have a better understanding of the theories and also the history of how, uh, you know, everything evolved, you know, over the, the, the many decades uh, hell, there's information on ancient times, investigations going into the, the Oracle of Delphi, uh, the first ghost story it was the Epic of Gilgamesh, the first haunted house was reported by Pliny the Younger, you know, in ancient Greece, for example. Uh, you know, all that's referenced in there for the would-be uh, sci-field researcher to uh, have an opportunity to have hopefully a more professional investigation and the the uh, the TV show Ghost Hunters out there, and I know some of those people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do too. Um, yeah. So you said the book's available on Amazon Plus, uh, the website uh, ghosttech.com, right? Mm-hmm. That is correct. Yes, you've got a couple of other websites too. I'm not sure if you wanted to, you know, if where you'd like to direct people who have an interest in seeing and following more of your work. Sure, a lot. Uh, several of my websites can be found at, on the. Uh, a redirect URL called VinceWilsonMagic.com. Uh, and I, uh, I do uh, psychic entertainment and magic shows as well, which always incorporate ghost stories and uh, the paranormal into them. And, uh, there's a clear definition. Magic has helped me be more skeptical, uh, but not a debunker. I want to make that clear. Just because I am uh, more self-aware of fraud and fakery doesn't mean I think everything is fraud and fakery. Right. You know, I just, I just will not be easily fooled into believing that your house is haunted if you're trying to get a TV show. Uh, <laughs> but I do believe that there's a, the, you know, that the paranormal exists and there's things that, you know, we don't understand yet. Um, yeah, that, uh, you make such a great point when it comes to that. We, uh, have to have you back on, Vince, because we really just scratched the surface of the things that we wanted I to talk about. I would love to be on, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so we'll, we'll make sure we get that set up. How can people reach you? Is there a way to reach you through the websites? And, and what do you, do you yeah, have anything? You, do you have anything come? forms. I'm on social media. You okay. can find me on Facebook, for example. And uh, do you have anything coming up you want to let folks know about? Yes, in two weeks I will be doing uh, using hypnosis to do a past life regression Zoom meeting. So if you'd oh, like cool. to... You can go to ghosttech.com. There's a link right on the front page and sign up for that. Uh, and we're going to uh, do a, a online Zoom past life regression. I've done it before. I've even done seances through Zoom. If there's enough interest, I would love to do another Zoom seance. But I do seances in Baltimore, uh, and I am available for events if you wanted, if you would like to have a seance at your event. Uh and I'm also, if there's enough interest, I might restart the parapsychology program with the American Institute of Parapsychology uh, for those who are interested in being either parapsychologists or, uh, if you'd like to have a little bit more freedom, <laughs> a sci-field researcher, which is a term used I came up with for the amateur 
parapsychologist. I've got to ask, my final question has to be about Baltimore, because uh, you mentioned that the what we know today is the Ouija board was invented in Baltimore in the, I think you said, the late 19th century. We know Edgar Allan Poe uh, lived in Baltimore, wrote his uh, famous works in Baltimore. What was going on in Baltimore at the end of the 19th century, Vince, that made it so creepy? I don't know. That's a very good question, because spiritualism was big there. The very first magic club called the Demons Club uh, was in Baltimore. It was founded in Baltimore City and had incredible, famous, incredibly famous internationally known magicians as members. Edgar Allan Poe died there under weird circumstances. Wow. In fact, that's a whole episode to itself right there. Yeah. In 1849. Uh, but yeah, there was, there was a Baltimore City was a, a very strange city. A lot of things were happening at the time, and it's some of the haunt, most haunted places in the United States are, on, most of your listeners probably never know this, in Baltimore City. It's really, really cool. Uh, final question for you, I promise, and I've got to let you go. Uh, you've done a lot of investigations. Do you have a favorite place, favorite spot? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I, I like go. I've done Waverly a few times. One of my favorite places is the very elegant and beautiful Lord Baltimore Hotel in downtown Baltimore, uh, but also Edgar Allan Poe's gravesite in Baltimore City, which I do uh, tours and seances at sometimes. Oh, cool. But, man, that's, that's really – I think my favorite place to go for ghosty stuff uh, <laughs> is New Orleans, probably. Yeah. 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 That's a very spiritual town. Very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vince, thanks for being here. Like I said, we're going to get you back on soon so we can finish this conversation because we just got started. Again, your website, ghosttech.com, plus uh, the book is called Ultimate Ghost Tech. Thanks for being here tonight. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Beyond Reality. Don't go away. I said, oh, my hair is out of control now. Um, we're going to have Vince back on. We got a late start uh, due to the problems early on, and we have a lot more to talk to him about. Very interesting guy and with a lot of great experience, and I love his perspective on a lot of what we talked about tonight already, so it'll be a time well spent. We'll have him back soon. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I wanted to show Scooter something. I forgot to set this up, so you're going to have to give me just a second to set this up for Scooter. Scooter frequently asks for um a certain something i'm gonna i wonder if anybody in the chat room knows what i'm talking about he's constantly asking for something (laughs) i know it's a very broad broad uh description however i got an email today that uh, I find very, very interesting. So what does Scooter, other than three trivia questions, what does Scooter, who has inappropriately changed his screen name in YouTube to Doug James. Oh, I need a haircut. 
Arts Bridge photography. I definitely do. I just have not wanted to sit through the hassle of getting it done yet. Um, there's still the the. I just like a place I can walk in, sit down, get it cut, and and move on. And they don't. They're not doing that. Still, you got to make an appointment. You got to do all this stuff. I have to be like I'll be sitting here and I'm like, okay, now it's time for the haircut. I get up, go, and get it done. I can't do this. Schedule it and have to be. I have to be in the right frame of mind. Um, yes, Scott, he does always ask for three trivia questions, but that's not the one I'm talking about. Iowa has it. He's always talking about the Naked Witch, wants to see the Naked Witch. I found the Naked Witch book uh, again. Not that I lost it. It's just, it's just been on a shelf. But that's not what I wanted to mention. It is about the Naked Witch. Naked Witch. I got an email from the Naked Witch. She's announcing her new band, and um, their new album. Let me see what it says. She says, I'm excited to share my new magical rock band. It's called Sea Witch. Music and magic have always been inextricably entwined. We chant to manifest. We dance when raising power. We sing when conjuring. In Sea Witch, we weave together the ecstatic energy of guitars with deep rock bass rhythm and wild, heavy rock drum beats with bewitched lyrics. Every song is a spell, an incantation, a tool for manifestation. There is a spell book on the website with magical lyrics. So um, I'm going to try to get her back on the show to talk about this. But this is a picture of, this is a promotional picture of the band. And uh, the only lady in the picture there is is um, Fiona, who is the Naked Witch. We know her better as the Naked Witch. So, Scooter, we're going to have her back on the show to talk about the band that she's now started. And, uh, yeah, so I thought you'd be excited about that, Scooter. I, I was excited to tell you because I knew I knew that would be of interest to you. Yeah, I do. I mean... It's out of control. It's out of control. All right, a couple trivia questions, and then we'll call it a night. We haven't done this in a while. We have not done it in a while. Okay, first question. Here we go. First trivia question. Dr. Seuss was once challenged by a publisher to write a book using only words from a vocabulary list of 348 words that a first grader would know. Dr. Seuss rose to the challenge. What book... Did this challenge inspire? Um, I think, I, I think, I don't know which book was, uh, was Dr. Scoos, Dr. Scoos, Dr. Zeus, Dr. Seuss's first book. Was it Cat in the Hat? Was that the first one? Or was it Hop on Pop? Which is one that I remember fondly from my childhood. <laughs> Thank you, Selena. My it's just, it's a nuisance. I have to comb it back out of my face. I, when I'm not wearing these headphones, I'm wearing these sunglasses to keep it out of my face. Because it's just annoying. Uh, green Eggs and Ham, was that the first one? Sam I Am, Green, Egg, green Eggs and Ham. Dr. Seuss once challenged, was challenged by a publisher to write a book using only words from a vocabulary list of 348 words that a first grader would know. Dr. Seuss rose to the challenge. What book did the challenge inspire? One Fish, Two Fish, Green Eggs and Ham? All great Dr. Seuss works. The answer is, let's see here. Who's got this? It was the cat in the hat. That was the first one. There are only 236 unique words in the book, The Cat in the Hat. That's, a, that's obviously probably his most famous work. 
What was the one? Uh, maybe that wasn't Dr. Seuss. Was it Bartholomew and the the five thousand hats? Does anyone remember that one? Every time he had, he was supposed to take his hat off, but every time he took his hat off, another hat was there. Okay, next trivia question. Here we go. What's the difference between a Broadway show and an off-Broadway show? Okay, so I produced an off-Broadway show, so I happen to think I know the answer, unless there's something technical about it. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, I would say. Nice job, Scooter, getting that one right. Nice. Um, yeah, I got a flip thing going. What is happening here? Whatever. We'll live with it. What's the difference between a Broadway show and an off-Broadway show? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, Rudy, I think that's pretty much it. Yes, it's, it, I mean, I produced an off-Broadway show, and the show was in New York City, and it just was not on Broadway. It was on, like, 28th Street or something at a theater called the Zipper Theater. And, uh, we, you know, it was an off-Broadway show. And it ran six weeks, and then it closed. We were hoping to move it to Broadway, but we didn't get the support. <laughs> I thought it was a good show. I put money into it. I thought it was a great show, but it didn't. Apparently, it wasn't. I don't know. I still enjoyed it. I do need a scrunchie, Moon. I need a hair scrunchie. Um, less than 500 or more than 500. Really? Is that, the, is that what they consider to be the difference, Kelsey? That's interesting. What's the difference between a Broadway show and an off-Broadway show? The answer is the terms, oh, nice. The terms uh, refer simply to the number of seats in the theater. A theater with more than 500 seats is considered Broadway. A theater between 100 and 499 is off-Broadway. And a theater with less than 99 is off-off-Broadway. Wow, I did not know that. And I literally did produce an off-Broadway show. And uh, I just... Being naive, I guess, just assume because it was not on Broadway, it was on 29th Street, that it was, that's why it was considered off-Broadway. That's really interesting. Um, see, we learn, we learn things. We do this and we learn things. Scooter, here's your third trivia question, just to keep you happy. I mean, you get a two for now. You got the Naked Witch reference, and now you get three trivia questions. Here you go. In, a, in ancient Olympic Games, the pentathlon was a five-event contest, including the long jump, running, wrestling, javelin throwing, and discus throwing. A modern version of the pentathlon debuted in the 1912 Olympics. What are the five events in a modern pentathlon? Hmm. I have no idea, and I don't really care too much i've never watched pentathlon competitions there are only a few olympic sports that i really care to watch that's not one of them uh just throw a little hairspray hmm interesting hairspray it's all curly in the back um in ancient olympic in ancient olympic Olympic Games, the pentathlon was a five-event contest, including the long jump, running, wrestling, javelin throwing, and discus throwing. A modern version of the pentathlon debuted at the 1912 Olympics. What are the five events in a modern pentathlon? I'm assuming wrestling's not one of them. So, let's see, long jump, running, javelin throwing, discus throwing. Maybe the fifth one is uh, bicycle, bike race. Not in 1912, probably not. Um, 
pole vault. Uh, oh, shot put, maybe. I mean, you've got javelin throwing and discus throwing. Maybe shot put. <laughs> yeah. Running, bicycle, swimming, fast walking, and flying? How do they fly? Rudy, how do they fly? I want to know more about this. Thumb wrestling, limbo, yodeling, duck calling, and distance. That's just, that's scooters, pentathlon. Running, swimming, bicycling, and two others. Yep. So bicycling is, seems to be a popular pole vault. Okay. Let's see what the answer is. Uh, Wow. <laughs> this is, uh, I had no idea. Okay, so the two that most of us got were swimming and running. Well, running, anyway. few people said swimming. The other three, Kelsey, you got it. Fencing, horse riding, and pistol shooting. That's quite a switch. It's quite a difference there. Okay, so tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern, the Independence Gang will be on the Independence Gang channel. So if you're interested in a political discussion, please join us for that. It's uh, me, Britt Griffith, and we always have a couple of uh, guest panelists that rotate through a bunch of people. We have a lot of fun uh, perspectives on the program. Again, it's the Independence Gang tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Eastern on the Independence Gang YouTube channel and also on the Independence Gang Twitch channel. Please subscribe to all, both, everything. Appreciate that. And then uh, we'll be back next Tuesday night with a live show here. I don't remember often. Let me see if I can tell you who we've got coming up. I know I know. Slick is is updating the calendar more regularly now as we get moving again. Uh, let's see here. John, who's this? John Top. We're going to be talking about soul systems. Nice. Okay. All right. That'll be fun. That's, that's uh, next... Yeah, that's next um, next Tuesday night. So, but again, uh, Independence Gang will be here. We might do a paranormal thing Sunday night too, just to just to remind you of that too. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to get to it this Sunday night because we the the Independence Gang show we've got planned for Sunday night, which is usually we can keep to an hour. This one might go longer, so we'll have to see. Um, you, you don't have to thank me, Arts Bridge. I I apologize for not having more opportunities to be live. I do. I do uh, promise that we'll be doing this more often. I, like I've I've said if several times, I've got a lot of projects going on here. None of them, with the exception of the Independence Gang, can I freely talk about. But they're exciting things, and, and I'm hoping that at some point, really soon, we can talk about them. And uh, then you know everybody will understand what's been going on here. But I appreciate you all being here tonight. I love you all, and thank you for being here. And I will see you for those of you who want to hear about politics tomorrow night at 10 p.m. on the Independence Gang. Otherwise, next Tuesday we'll be here talking about some paranormal stuff. Thanks for being here. Love you all. Take care. <laughs>